That question so, was so obvious. I was like, wait a minute. Who played Wolverine? Hugh <laughs> <You> Jack- <laughs> <You> Jackman. <laughs> Welcome to Sincast, presented by CinemaSins. everybody welcome to the sincast this is chris atkinson from cinema sins joined as always by the voice of cinema sins jeremy scott hey that's me hey that's him and from music video sins barrett share yay hey victory Today on uh, our Sincast, uh, you know, Barrett came to us and he was like, you know what? You know what's amazing? Mission Impossible is 25 <laughs> years old. That's right. Uh, That's right. Uh, this month. Um, it came out in Memorial Day 1996. Uh, I remember so much about this summer of 96, man. Mission Impossible. Oh, yeah? Yeah, man, it was just a, it was just a ton of stuff coming out. Space Jam came out in 1996. Wow, we really could have done a segment on Space Jam. We could have, we could have. Mm. But Mission Impossible came out in 1996. It has spawned five other sequels after that, and we're going to see a Mission Impossible Seven at some point. Mm. Um, so, uh, so yeah, what do we want to we want to say about uh, these movies? I guess I could go ahead and start. Um, Definitely working at a movie theater during this time when Mission Impossible came out. And I remember I was, you're still in that mode of like, ah, they're making a movie out of a TV show that came out like 20 years ago. Uh, Even then you're just kind of like, okay, we'll see. Tom Cruise is usually pretty good. So we'll, we'll see what happens. And I remember watching, I think this was the summer where I watched almost everything twice because I would watch, I would what I would come in on the day that a movie would come in, which was in this time, Paramount stuff used to come in on the Wednesday before it came out. So I would come in on Wednesday and, uh, and, uh, would build that print and watch it during the afternoon. And then it would just be ready. And then, you know, Thursday night when people wanted to watch it again or whatever, watch it with, you know, watch it on the normal time or whatever, just watch it again, <laughs> especially if it was good. Um, why did, uh, why did Paramount stuff? Do you, do you know why? Is there a reason that they there came were in two early? different, uh, there were two different outfits that delivered films, Technicolor and their orange cans and Technicolor did stuff like Disney, Sony, uh, I don't know if well, Sony actually went to the other cans at some point, but no Disney, I think maybe universal had the orange Technicolor cans and then a whole bunch of groups of, uh, studios, Warner brothers and whatever used a completely different service to deliver huh. their cans. Um, and so Paramount was one, like, you know, if you knew you were getting one of those, uh, Friday, you knew those cans were coming in on Wednesday. Um, and, uh, so that was, uh, that was always awesome. Actually, it may have been one of those things where it came in on Wednesday night. We weren't open during the afternoon. Oh, um, really? It came in on Wednesday night and then I could come in on Thursday afternoon and build it with no customers. No, no worrying about starting shows or anything like that. Watch it. And then that night, watch it again. Ah. Um, but, uh, that first mission impossible that when I first watched it, I was like, oh my God, even at 19, I was sitting there going, oh, my God, Brian Palma made a movie, a studio movie where he's able to keep his own style all the way through it. 
it makes a great use of its widescreen, uh, yeah. which very few movies actually do. A lot of times, like uh, people, uh, directors will make a movie in uh, in scope two, three, five, one, and they'll not use it completely. It's like, oh, I just wanted to have a big widescreen. Is pretty much it seems like. But De Palma, if you're looking in this movie, if you're looking to the side, some, there's always something going on. And yeah. there's information that goes on in the first Mission Impossible that it rewards the viewer for be- paying attention yeah. throughout. And this is a big studio action movie. Most movies don't do that. Yeah. Um. So I, I was a big, huge fan of the first Mission Impossible when it came out. Mm-hmm. No doubt about it. No mm-hmm. kidding, man. That the, the action sequences, which you know later on the franchise will be known for. We're there, obviously. I mean, you know, for the the train scene at the end, like Tom Cruise, this is the beginning of him doing all his stunts. Mm-hmm. He had that wind machine uh, flown in and all that. But also, this to me is the most spy forward v- movie in the entire franchise. Mm, yes. Like there's an actual mystery going on all the way up until the end where there's subterfuge going on that you won't expect like when when uh, uh, not uh, John Voight rips his mask <laughs> off, you're like, I was genuinely shocked. Like mm-hmm. it, maybe there was a little bit in my in my brain that was like, oh, I bet that's Ethan. But you know, it, it's it's a big reveal, and uh, I just love it, man. That's why it's so rewatchable to me, uh, almost as much as any of the the latter ones. Uh, you can go back and be rewarded for watching it for the spy stuff and the plot. Or the action sequences, which still hold up. Mm-hmm. The tank scene with Kittredge and, and Ethan still holds up as one of the yeah. coolest stunts I've seen. <laughs> yeah, and Cruz did that one too. When he walks around the room detailing the second team that had been at the first event. <laughs> yes. It's the way that De Palma, this is why he's probably my one of my two favorite directors. Because he, the way he he shoots film is just different. He thinks... He thinks deeply about what's going on, how things are framed. Like Chris said, things going on in the background that seem innocuous, but later will become important. Um, it's got style, like like the Macquarie ones that we'll get to talking to uh, talking about later. Well, I wish we could talk to the movies; that would be awesome. <laughs> um, are incredible, but they're more straight action. Uh, lost some of that that. I don't even want to say noir, but that kind of mysterious style. Yeah. Spy that, stuff. Yeah. 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 And I will never forget Sting insulting the U2 version of the theme song because mm-hmm. they changed it to 4 4. And he said, <laughs> any idiot can play in 4 4. Because the U2 version. It's like, and I love it. It's a jam, but Sting's kind of right. It's more impressive to play well, the original was, theme song. Yeah, it's it's a jazz guy. Lilo Schifrin did the, uh, the dun, 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 which I think is 6-4, um, oh. which is very um, jazzy time signature. And you're right. I love I love that one too, and we'll talk about the Limp Biscuit version in a second. But mm-hmm. I love the original too. So yeah, I understand. Mm-hmm. That. I, understand. Yeah. I think it's five one four five one. Two, it's five something. Four five six one two three four five six. 
I don't know. We'll, music we'll anyway, we'll figure. No! <laughs> this has been Music Theory with Jeremy and Barrett's chest hey. and palms. Uh, Ooh, did everybody uh, else fall in love with Emmanuel Bayard, too? Of course. Of oh, course. my God. I'd, she was I'd, so never seen, I'd never seen a woman like that in my life when Emmanuel Bayard would, was uh when she first came on the scene oh my god and then, and then and at the very beginning you find out she's married to john voight and you're like what the <laughs> fuck <laughs> um, yeah 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 but uh but like um the the uh, there was a scene that i used to always walk in on because i just love how every how it's get how it's set up and everything is kittredge comes down in the uh in the helicopter and he's like how long to the london terminus and this is the before the big train sequence and everything and they tell him what uh, blah 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 blah. all right we'll meet each other and blah 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 and then like dun, 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 and it's like this this helicopter shot zooming in on the on the on the train as it goes on on yeah. the tracks and everything and it goes all the way to this room where someone's preparing the the briefcase or whatever it is oh my god i love that shit so yeah. much um i also but, just uh, read the other day uh an interview with tom cruise talking about how that shot of him coming down to the floor in the vault and hanging right above the floor and he kept smacking his head on the ground oh no they were doing take after take and they were uh, apparently the palma was ready to give up and cruz basically begged him to give him one last shot and he nailed it so he did he also had um it was like money like coins in his shoe to keep him balanced because oh, wow. apparently he was tipping forward all the oh time. wow that's cool so he had to do that and that's you know of all the things in this movie that's the iconic shot, right? Is is the outstretched arms yeah, and the probably. whole white thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I, I had never seen anything like that. And then when you do, it was many years later that I figured out that he did, I think, virtually all the stunts, the stunts mm-hmm. in that movie. Uh, I was like, holy shit, seriously? And even better is when Krieger slightly drops him uh, and, and he's got that look on his face where he's like trying not to hit the floor, not trying to say anything uh, is uh, is beautiful as well. Uh, yeah, that scene's great, especially the way they set it up because Cruz is talking to Ving Rhames, Emmanuel Bayard's in there, Jean Renault plays Krieger is in there, and they're all talking about how they're going to infiltrate the CIA and, and, uh, and, um, Cruz goes through that whole thing of like, well, we're going to have to get in there somehow. And then all these systems are state of the art. You can't, you can't make enough, make noise. You can't touch the floor. You can't do this and that. And, uh, and, uh, and, and Ving Rhames is like, even with top of the line crypto, we ain't going to be able to get in this place. And he goes, don't worry, Luther. It's a way worse than you imagine. Um, that's crazy he's great uh, uh ving rames who we'll talk about many times i'm sure but uh i mean this was only a couple years after pulp fiction and mm-hmm. you're used to seeing him as this big tough guy and he is tough but he's also like the nerd and he's mm-hmm. also you know the 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 lovable dude uh that works with ethan it is funny listening to him talk about what state of the art computer stuff is during that scene (laughs) i'm talking about the blah 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 risk chips and all this whatever he's talking about in there which i'm sure at this point in time the 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 technology he's talking about in there is like ancient (laughs) but it sounds amazing in 1996 that's right yeah Um, jean renault and uh oh i'll tell you the the moment that shocked me 
uh, is when <laughs> this is a weird thing. But like in 1996, Emilio Estevez was enough of a star that you didn't expect him to die within the first like five minutes of the movie. Oh, man, I felt like <laughs> I actually felt like it was amazing. I was seeing Emilio Estevez in a movie in 1996. Oh, really? Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. I remember. And, and I believe Estevez. I don't know if he was calling in a favor with his old buddy Cruz on this, but I think there was a connection there as to how he got in this movie. Oh really? Um, yeah. Um uh I remember seeing I mean and and of course you know we're all we're all way younger at this point uh when uh Mission Impossible comes out. It felt like it had been forever since I had seen Emilio Estevez in a movie by the time that but but Minute right. Work which was the last thing that I had remembered seeing him in was like 4 years, 5 years previous or something like that. But yeah, I don't that think I don't remember yeah. I don't remember him. I just don't remember him in anything big at that point. Going well, we weren't. Yeah, we weren't old enough to see Judgment Night, but that was that was ninety three. Oh, well, I, well, I saw Judgment Night. Oh, yeah, yeah, <laughs> I wasn't yeah. old enough. I was, I, 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 I was in the theater that ran that. So yeah, Judgment Night. But it, it may have been since Judgment Night, actually, since I had seen him. Watch yeah, you, and you I, pop off a whole bunch of other movies. No, no, oh, no. Yeah. There was only two. There was only two between that and uh, Mission Impossible. Uh, D two. The Mighty Ducks, which I didn't yeah, see. I saw I the first either. one. Uh, and then he was in the Jerky Boys, the movie, which I had no fucking interest in whatsoever. No, no. Uh, no but I didn't yeah, see no, that. I, I understand. But in my head, I think I had that men, in, men at work, young guns type of thing to where mm. he seemed like he was a big enough star to, to last more than five yeah. minutes getting impaled <laughs> in the eye. Yeah. I remember this ending, too, confusing a lot of people because of the way it was shot. Well, not the ending, but the reveals that were going on when John Voight is going through all the things that happened um, that uh, Ethan's trying to come up with the answers to, you know, Voight is basically saying Kittredge is behind this and this is what he did. And meanwhile, Ethan is thinking of the thing that actually happened uh, while John Voight is giving him a line of bullshit. So a lot of people are were like, wait a minute, what he's saying this, but they're showing that and everything. And if you if you just sit there and uh, actually piece it together and realize that Ethan's been on to John Voight this whole time, you realize that he is he's thinking about how John Voight did all this. Jim Phelps don't want don't mean to uh, impugn <laughs> John Voight. Oh please, um, please impugn him. <laughs> yes, uh, but yeah. Uh, I can get really in depth on that one. I don't know how in depth I can get on Mission Impossible Two. Oh, uh, I got that one covered, baby. Which uh, came out in two thousand, I believe. Um, it is the most two thousand movie ever to exist. It oh is. Oh my god! John Woo takes over. I read the Wikipedia plot description. And it gave me a headache. I'm not even joking. It's <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Just reading the plot of this movie makes me want to run away and hide. Mm-hmm, I mm-hmm. think I only saw it twice when it came out and then when we sent it. And I Same here. think you might have to pay me to watch it again. It's really a bad time. It's awful. It's awful. It was playing <clears throat> on HBO, I think, fairly recently. And I watched it just out of morbid curiosity once. And then my son wanted to see it. So I watched it again. And it's just so... Look, I like John Woo. I don't love John Woo, 
but I like John Woo and I understand what he's going for. Very pulpy, very, you know, over the top and stuff like that. I don't think doves being released in the background needs to be in a mission fucking impossible movie. Uh, and I definitely don't buy Doug Ray Scott as like the most dangerous person in the fucking world. <laughs> at that time though, at that time, he was he was what Jai Courtney was at the beginning of Jai Courtney. All the studios <laughs> thought he was going to be a, he almost was fucking Wolverine, man. Yeah, um, yeah. Oh, that's right. Yeah. And he was more known than than um Fucko at the time. Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah. Hank Hanky fuck who is it? Hank Jeremy, Azaria? Jeremy jo- who played Wolverine? Hugh Jackman. <laughs> Hugh Jackman. That question so, was so obvious. I was like, wait a minute. Who played Wolverine? <laughs> Hugh, Jack- <laughs> Hugh Jackman was was basically unknown when he got that role. And DeGray Scott, Scott was much more known. Mm-hmm. Um, so uh, it's not surprising to me that he was cast in the role. But I think ultimately he lacked the charisma to become that next level star. And it showed pretty heavily in this movie you know who else lacked charisma in this movie for me and it pains me to say it because i think she's been a lot better since is tandy newton yeah or yeah she got what, well i think she you know the backstory on that like uh, apparently she was very uncomfortable working with tom cruise on this i on know this, that yeah so. that that whole tub scene uh they conceived of it differently and she was uncomfortable and yeah. I get that. Uh, and that's not really what I meant, I, but now I feel bad. So I'm going to walk back. No, you, I, I don't you, think it's, I don't know if it's her. I think it may be the direction. Like, I don't think uh, John Woo is known for really giving a lot of agency to his female characters. I'm sure he's a perfectly fine person. It's just whatever well, comes he off had, on the screen. He had Travolta and Nick Cage that he'd worked with recently who don't need to be told to act. Right, um, right. And so maybe that's not his thing is telling people to emote. Maybe he likes those cold, hard stares. Yeah, the uh, the action in this, I, I cannot, I can't abide by all the slow motion. And what really drives me crazy, even more than choppy edits, is showing the same shot from a different angle several times in a row. So when they're doing the fucking motorcycle joust and like <laughs> Tom Cruise swings around and brings the gun up, it shows him bringing the gun up and then another shot of him bringing the gun up and then another shot from down here of him bringing the gun up. I'm like, God damn it, dude. We get it. Like that he was, a, that was up. a cool stuff. Yeah. He brought um, the gun up. <laughs> there, are, there are a couple of things uh, uh, I want to bring up. First off, uh, she's now formerly Tandy Newton. She's using her real, uh, name now that I don't think I've ever heard pronounced. I haven't either. I just know that she's spelling it with a W. It's like Tandyway or something right, like that. Right. Like it's it's, oh. it's it's it's. I think it's something close to what what we're seeing. Apologies. Now. No 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 no. Don't don't don't. No, I don't think everybody knows this. Okay. Um, this is something that was just. I mean, it was kind of very like, uh, you know, subtly uh, reported that. That's her real name that she's using right now. I see. But somebody, there was some sort of weird thing that happened where somebody actually took that name or whatever, and she couldn't use it. And, 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 and that person didn't have any real rights to it. And she's like, I'm taking this fucking name back. Uh, So I don't know. I don't know what the hell happened uh, there, but I'm glad that she got a real name back. Uh, Yeah. 
but uh, but yeah, John Woo, I think, is one of those classic cases of a director who had a great career in his homeland and then came over to America and realized he couldn't do the same exact things that he wanted, that he could do over there. And a lot of these American films have some watered down uh, issues. I don't know how, I mean, I mean, if they let Brian De Palma do everything he wanted to do on the first movie, which it looked like they, they did mm-hmm. the second ones very well could be all, all woo, you know, could be all woo. All um, woo. But um, uh, the the uh, only other things I remember about this movie, it's so weird, right? Watching a movie twice and you even send it. I and mean, I don't even remember very many things about this. Um, our ancillary, like the, the Ben Stiller thing that the, the, where they, where he's Tom Cruise's stunt double. Yeah, and, yeah. Uh, and he's like, he, they're talking about that motorcycle jousting scene. And uh, he's like, I think you should have a point where you're up in midair and you turn to the camera and you go, looks like things just got a lot more impossible. And <laughs> and there's, there's a lot of that Ben Stiller thing is hilarious. The other thing I was dying laughing. I watched this movie with Russell and, and Jeremy knows uh, Russell. Oh, we work with him out of 27. When the Vlimp Biscuit song comes on at the end of the credits, which I believe is Mission Impossible 2000. Well, it's, it's, called it's called Take a Look Around. But Take a it's, Look it's Around. Yeah, yeah. Take a Look Around, and then it's like, now I know why you want to hate me. Now <laughs> I know why you want to hate me. <laughs> Russell got all the way down at the front of the uh, the theater, and this he he got he put his hands on his knees and just started moving his, <laughs> his head back and forth, just, like, just, just head bopping at the song. And I was just like doubled oh, over oh, laughing. Oh, Jesus Christ! I yeah. tell you what, there are, there are two amazing things well there's, there's one amazing thing in this in this movie and that's the opening the opening uh where he's doing the free solo climb mm-hmm. uh at least on the screen i think he had a harness but he was on that that rock mm-hmm. uh out in utah and then spock and, flies up in those jet boots mm-hmm, and says mm-hmm. captain we've got to go make the worst movie ever made <laughs> yeah yeah that's Cla- oh wait that was classic. star trek five <laughs> classic but dude, that uh, that opening sequence is pretty fucking amazing, man. Uh, the the fact that what's what's cool about it is that he almost slips and falls, and he just holds on with one hand, and then he does that crazy like behind the back thing, mm-hmm. and then when he does get a grip back, he does this little smile where he's like, "All right, I knew what the dangers were. I'm good," mm-hmm. and uh, it's a nice reintroduction to that character. Right. Uh, and the other thing, the, the tiny thing that I love is Anthony Hopkins is in this movie for like maybe 15 seconds. And uh, he, he convinces uh, uh, Ethan Hunt to go get this, uh, this rogue agent uh, played by Tony Way Newton. And uh, he's like, I can't get her back. And he's like, will it be difficult? And he's like, yeah, very. <laughs> and he's like, well, it's not mission difficult, Mr. Hunt. It's mission impossible. <laughs> yeah, it's difficult yep, to yep. be a walk in the park for you. <laughs> <laughs> yep. <laughs> Um, uh, Alex Honnold of free solo fame was, uh, talking about how he, he climbed that exact rock and oh, really? uh, 
Yeah, and he saw, he said, he's like, I was pretty sure I was where they were when they filmed this because I could see the little footholds and nice. stuff still in the mountain and everything. Oh, and uh, cool. and uh, he, he, he de- deconstructed that mountain climbing sequence uh, from MI2 if you want to take a look at it. Really? He's, got, he's awesome. got two or three of those where he finds all the different mountain climbing things. and it, It's fun listening to him talk about those things. He's like, he's like yeah, this is pretty legit. It's kind of sick, actually. You know, blah, blah, blah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Like, but some things obviously it's like no that's not a thing you can't do that but he's really he's really fun to listen to on this uh so then it took another six years mission impossible yeah. three comes out with jj abrams at the helm and um mm. this was uh, rightfully called the the alias version of mission impossible he had already jj mm-hmm. mm-hmm. abrams had already come off of alias and and it has all the hallmarks of a jj abrams spy thing especially alias because this time we see ethan actually like trying to settle down and we see his family on the outside of this or or what who could be his family michelle monahan plays his fiance or his wife i can't remember she becomes his wife Uh, he he hastily marries her right before he goes out to track down as you do as yeah, and she has she has her troubled brother played by Aaron Paul, who nobody knew uh, <laughs> at the time. Uh, but uh, but this is the one. This is where Philip Seymour Hoffman shines. This is the oh. villain. Uh, this is the biggest. This is the best villain, maybe possibly. I'm not sure. Absolutely, it is. You've got Dougray um, Scott. You've got uh, what the the old guy from Ghost Protocol, and then you've got Solomon Lane. The uh, old guy from yeah. Ghost Protocol <laughs> that somehow holds his own against Ethan Hunt in a fist yeah, fight. Yeah, but yeah, no. Owen Davian for sure is by far the the best villain. Right. Um. You you can't get. I mean, you can't get much better acting pedigree on this uh, to get into a silly third movie of a franchise than Philip Seymour Hoffman. Of course, right. later on he was doing Hunger Games too. So you know, I mean, I guess he wasn't right. entirely uh you know above it or anything but uh, man he's so good in this movie um other than his performance though i'm not sure how much i remember about this movie either. Oh, i love this well movie it's so much. where we finally get simon Pegg joining the group mm-hmm. um and there's like a the bad guy puts like a thing in people's brain that goes splamo <laughs> after a certain amount of time <laughs> <laughs> and that's what kills Felicity. Um, ah, Felicity early yes. on, and she's like his protege. Protege is there a female yeah. version of the protege? She's his it's protege, with two e's. but <laughs> she dies, right. and he's wrecked with guilt about it, and it makes him angrier at Philip Seymour Hoffman. And um, <clears throat> then Michelle Monaghan gets kidnapped, um, and goes Mary Jane Watson on the third <laughs> act. Um, and, um, there's some good action. It is, listen, it is, it is overpraised because of how bad two is. It is, it is given credit for saving the franchise because of how bad two is Two made almost $600 million. Uh, <clears throat> and it is an, a bigger budgeted episode of alias. It would make it listen. Barrett is shaking his head because he's seen it recently. 
I've seen it four or five times. I'm not talking out of my ass here. I also saw every episode of Alias, and I don't think you did. No, um, you're right. I'm not insulting the movie by calling it a bigger budgeted episode of Alias. Alias was quite a kick-ass television show. Um, it's just that tonally, um, it stands out to me from the rest of them. Well, two stands out pretty bad, too. Uh, but... but <clears throat> It's it just it does, I'm I'm never worried about anybody in these movies. The stakes are never really all that serious, even though except for Felicity, of course. <laughs> She's, that, this movie's Emilio Estevez. Um, well, I mean, and, they do show the death of his wife, though, and you you know how dangerous uh, Philip Seymour Hoffman's character is, and you're yeah. like, holy shit, shit could go wrong it's because good. there was no guarantee like there was going to be a fourth one. I would probably put the first movie and the three most recent movies above this is all I'm saying. I would too. Um, I I love it, but you're right. Yeah. All right. Mm -hmm. Well, then we don't disagree so much. Uh, No, I I, I don't think for, for so long, it seemed like it was underpraised because it was such a different aspect of Ethan Hunt. You know, he's got that party scene where you meet Aaron Paul and everybody at the beginning where he's, he's like, He's explaining, I do traffic analysis because traffic has memory. No, and he's, yeah. he's doing all this crazy shit and he's going up and talking to Michelle Monaghan. And he trains these this this new class of like the Carrie Russells and everything. And you could see like, you know, I, I think the story develops really, really well. And it's certainly the antithesis of two and it's really so different from one because one is all about the job right like he's trying to put this together it's a snapshot of this one period of time in ethan hunt's career um three is more of like here's what's happened before here's what will happen in the future um so yeah i i do i actually probably rank it the same way you do but i do love it and definitely the best villain and by the way luther ving rames's character was barely featured i think at the very 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 end of two uh and he comes back full time in three and i think he's a good stabilizing presence in this whole thing yeah Mm -hmm. and the addition of simon Pegg was fucking brilliant i think we also gotta we also gotta remember what's going on with tom cruise when this movie comes out because i do believe this is around the oprah couch incident and the um and the uh, Matt Lauer interview where he calls Matt Lauer glib for mm. uh uh you know uh, talking about uh, mental health issues that uh, require drugs and things like that um and uh it's a miracle that there were three there's three more mission impossible movies that come out when you talk about Tom Cruise and what his name meant in 2006, because everybody was like, this is crazy Scientology guy. And, um, and so it, you know, the, I think it hurt the box office for, for part three, for sure. Especially since it had been six years since a movie that nobody really liked came out. (laughs) Um, and and uh, and you're feeding off of not only the bad taste in your mouth for Mission Impossible Two, but you're also you know you're running into this Tom Cruise might be uh, a little bit too weird to go see movies now, uh, you know and um and so Mission Impossible Three I can't remember what it did box office wise, but it was uh, not it was not great. Looks like um, three uh, about four hundred uh, worldwide. 
Um, I'm not sure what uh, domestic it was. It's the, it's um, amazing the goodwill some really talented Scientologists can get to where we just we just don't think about the Scientology all that often. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. That's right. True. Domestic like made and, uh, uh, domestic ahead. it made 134 million, so it did well. Um, it just, I think it was, it was just not, I don't know. It, that sounds like a pretty good amount for Mission Impossible though. Uh, now we get into though, uh, what is, uh, I think the, what is sort of being considered the, the preferred trilogy, uh, of this, uh, yeah. six movie run Mission Impossible Ghost Protocol has Brad Bird at the helm now and uh i believe he this is his first uh live action feature at this i think point. so he had done incredibles mm-hmm. he had done uh ratatouille um iron this giant. comes out huh was that iron, iron giant. giant yeah iron giant yes uh and uh and uh, this comes out in 2011 um and this was a singular experience uh, uh, watching yeah, this movie we saw this together. We saw this together. We saw it at IMAX. Yeah. And the IMAX scenes in this movie, I mean, you don't even have to watch these in IMAX, but boy, when you do. Mm-hmm. I can't Burj- believe I, I never saw it, but I bet that's oh, Jesus. The Burj Khalifa scene is unreal. I mean, yeah, you you really do feel like you're up there with him uh, in the IMAX uh, uh, scenes of this and whatever. But yeah. that whole section of the movie is just nonstop. Mm-hmm. They get in the Burj Khalifa. He has to climb it. He has to do this thing with the security system. He has the glove that's like malfunctioning and everything. Um, what a he's, great cutaway, uh, by the way, to the glove. After he throws it off, he keeps climbing, and he's like, it sees it, sees it, it and it falls off again. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's um, the contribution of Brad Bird, is that yeah. for the first time, Mission Impossible is fun, yeah. uh, right? Mm-hmm. Like the first three movies, say what you will about them, none of them are really that fun. The third yeah, one heavy. has yeah. its moments, but this one is fun, man. And mm-hmm. like you said, you're talking to the Burj Khalifa. So after the wall, then he has to go do this impersonation thing. They have mm-hmm. they have the the dual things, and this is a Mission Impossible staple. Well, they've never seen this person before, <laughs> so I can just pretend to be that person. Um, they they even they even go out of their way we'll talk about that later in the sixth one they go out of their way to do that fucking thing in the sixth one yep Um, because it takes forever for that mask to be built for some reason yeah yeah (laughs) and it doesn't Um, get done in time and he's like well let's just hope yeah (laughs) yeah um but they have this dual thing going on where the you know you have the sellers don't know who the buyers are and the buyers don't know who the sellers are and uh there's that great just that great uh dual thing going on with that with that deal and then when shit gets real on that particular part of that oh no there's a sandstorm coming (laughs) (laughs) they set it up perfectly too because when he's when he's out there on the side of the building you know benji's like what is that or jeremy renner's character is like what is that and benji just totally dismisses he's like ah ethan it'll be fine it, it's a way <laughs> off <laughs> yeah. but you see it and you're like yeah that's gonna factor in the uh, yeah. i love simon Pegg in this movie particularly mm-hmm. but uh, in the whole series but when they first break out ethan from the jail and he goes to that phone and 
listens to the thing to get his instructions. And he's like, we're going to the Kremlin and everybody starts piling into the van and Simon Pegg's in front. And he's like, I thought he said the Kremlin. And then like a couple <laughs> seconds go by and he turns around and looks at Tom Cruise and goes, I thought you said the Kremlin. He's perfect. The, the, the opening scene when they bust him out of jail, where he's controlling all the locks and everything. And Tom Cruise is like, do this, you know, yeah. gesturing at it's the like, camera and he's talking to him. He's like, no, I'm not going to do it. And so then Ethan just like puts his, his thing on the, his arm on the, the rail. And he's like, oh, you got to wait. Well, I can wait. And, <laughs> and he looks, Ethan looks at the guards and he's like, Hey, what are you going to do? <laughs> it's like, Man, bug down, that, bug down. That, that Kremlin scene is one of my favorites too. Um, this is why I, this is why ghost protocol, even though the next two movies from Macquarie, I like, I think a lot of people like better than this one, but this is the, the, that whole thing that we just talked about with the Birch Khalifa. Then the, that Kremlin scene is ridiculously fun, mm-hmm. man. That mm-hmm. whole thing with the, th- you know, they have that screen up in front of them and, and, uh, you know, it has the perfect video. It's the perfect invisibility for them and everything, except there are some problems with it, which is again, another thing going back to what Jeremy's saying. This is Brad Bird making it super fun where yep. like just some weird anomalies start showing up on the screen and they have to get it off before the guy looks yeah. up. Yeah. Like, and when when Simon when Pegg's face comes up, yeah, the <laughs> and you see as the guard looks up, you see it from the guard's perspective. As you, he looks up, you can see Ethan just shove Benji. Out <laughs> yeah. It's very reminiscent of the scene, uh, when, uh, Mr. Incredible, um, uh, goes to break, like, no, well, first scene when he goes to the island, but the scene when Miss, Mrs. Incredible comes to save him and she gets her leg stuck in the one set of doors and then she gets her head stuck outside the other set of doors and her arms on one le- place and her legs in the other place. It's very reminiscent of that whole sequence to me where he takes attention filled, basically infiltration and drops humor bombs all over the place in there. Um, and and yes, the, the next two movies, I think, are technologically greater achievements in many ways. Uh, mm-hmm. But the fun, you know, the pure adrenaline fun kind of resides mostly in ghost protocol. I think um, uh, it's the one I keep going back to the most, uh, even yeah. though they all have, except for two, they all have something I like. Mm-hmm. This has five things I like. I don't, I don't cut away from any scene. Yeah. It's the, uh, the only issue I think with this movie, for me, is the very, very end. Yeah. What's crazy is that, and far be it for me to fight in a Carvana parking lot. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> criticize uh, Brad Bird's pacing, but the Burj Khalifa scene is like at an hour into the movie, and yep. it's it's essentially halfway through. Then you have all the stuff in Mumbai. Then you have you know the final conflict with uh, with uh, you know old guy, and it's like uh, okay. you also got that. Section where um, I almost called her Patton Oswald. God, I'm blanking today. <laughs> Paula Patton. <laughs> Paula Patton. Uh, her her job is basically be sexy and seduce yep. the bad guy with your feminine wares, which is just a little skeezy. But I'm just saying, when you have something as visually arresting as the Burj Khalifa scene. Yeah, you got to be hard pressed to to come anywhere close to that. For the we rest answered of the a question on the pod recently about movies that peak 
you know, two thirds of the way through. And I would say this one does. This it one definitely does. Count. It definitely <clears throat> does. There's no doubt about it. Um, but uh, then we get into Mission Impossible Rogue Nation. This is Christopher McQuarrie taking over. Uh, Tom Cruise had worked with McQuarrie before, had done Jack Reacher. Um, also, uh, McQuarrie wrote Valkyrie. So mm. I'm sure that the relationship started as far back as then is when they did Valkyrie and then on to Jack Reacher and now this. Um, and this is the one where they they basically don't really have a home anymore. The IMF doesn't isn't that what happens? The mm-hmm. IMF is kind of just uh they can't they can't report back to them anymore. Um and god this one has one of my this is one of the one of the best constructed uh action scenes uh in it i hope you're nodding at the same one that i'm about to talk about the opera house yeah Um, where and it's also maybe the sexiest too just because of rebecca ferguson's mere presence um uh because because mccrory shoots shoots uh shoots her at that point where she's just her legs are just like the prominent in the screen and everything and she's (laughs) she's ready to pull out guns and stuff and everything but that scene where where Ethan is going up, he has to fight that dude on the top of the the beam or whatever, mm-hmm. and then like there's two people about to shoot this this uh who this Russian is it a Russian guy or an Austrian guy? guy, and one Austrian of them is guy? Ilsa, right? Um, yeah, one of them is Ilsa, and then there's a there's a point where he sees that there are two assassins here, and he knows he can't shoot one of them and get away with the other guy the 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 target staying alive so he ends up shooting the target (laughs) shooting him in a place where he'll he'll recoil and then miss the other bullets and everything god i love that scene so much i want to eat it it Uh, may be uh, i try and pick the, the best scene in all six of these movies so far and this would be in the conversation and Mm -hmm. probably the winner there's a scene in the next one. And then the Burj Khalifa from the previous one would also be in the mix, but that opera Mm -hmm. scene is just, and again, this is why I don't want to be a director. And I think I would be a bad one. It's not just making pretty images with the camera. It's having the kind of brain to, to create and construct that opera house sequence uh, both from the writing all the way to storyboarding and then and then staging your camera setups and, and it's it's so mm-hmm. much more than just a visual flair being a great director um and you know nolan i think is particularly good at this kind of uh <clears throat> expert planning uh before he ever even shoots a single thing uh, mm-hmm. And so this is where your respect for Macquarie goes from, you know, I think he's really talented to holy shit. Like, how do you even do this? Uh, yeah. And that's just one scene in the movie. Um, I think this is the movie that, you know, really ramped up the Tom Cruise is insane with the stunts thing. The Burj Khalifa yeah, stuff sure. was, was wild. But when, when he took off on the side of that plane, I mean, I feel like that was the, when everybody started talking about this dude will do anything. Mm-hmm. Um, and of course, he will go on to do some more crazy shit. But I love that plane scene. Um, uh, I love the, if, again, uh, I think I saw this in IMAX because I think like, 
I think both this movie and the sixth movie have shot some in IMAX. I think so. Um, I think they, I think and, all three of them have IMAX sequences. I felt like I was on the side of that plane. Like it was a tense <laughs> fucking <laughs> scene for me. That's the best. Look, I know it, go- it gives it away, but that trailer was so great because that was the ending of it. Is yeah. no score, nothing, just. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and getting higher and higher and higher. And again, they shot that several times, and he was hanging off the side of that fucking plane. And Cruz again, just selling it with that whole like, oh, <laughs> he's got to remember to act. Yeah, all these things, he has to act. And I don't know how long he actually held his breath underwater in that in that, that scene is another scene. one that's just <laughs> well, unreal. I think it's hard for me to watch because mm-hmm. like, I think I read that he trained to hold his breath underwater for he did. as yeah, long yeah. as that scene was supposed to take place. I doubt he held it that long for any single take, but uh, I do remember reading that he trained to be able to hold his water for longer than normal. Hold his water, like Sybil. Mm-hmm. Hold his air. That's right. Hold his water. <clears throat> this also has uh, an ending that I call the saw ending because it's just the way he, they set it up where like, uh, the, you know, Lane is played by Sean Harris has to follow them around, uh, you know, whatever at the end and go through that, uh, manhole cover and all that. Yep. And, um, they, they get him in that box that's completely invisible, and then they get him in there. Now you just just think about that saw music coming in when he's in that box. Dun 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 dun. dun, dun. Um, <laughs> it's such a great uh, reveal, though, because it is. It, Ethan's just stare eye fucking the shit out of him. Mm-hmm. <laughs> he pulls the gun out and he tries to shoot him, and he's mm-hmm. like, "No, motherfucker!" Yeah, oh, it's so good. It's so. Oh good. yeah. Oh yeah. Um. Yeah, what are the there at the at the end there's a whole thing about uh TV stations and taking over a a signal of some sort. What was what's going on in the end of that movie? Oh, uh, well, shit. Are, are they, they are they trying to bomb is he trying to blow it up? I can't remember what he's doing. Yes, I um he's well, this is the one with the god's eye, right? Where is that? A Fast and Furious movie. <laughs> Could I think be Fast it is. And Furious it's the rabbit's foot in uh, in three. This one is uh, it, oh, it, it's something to do with the Prime Minister uh, Tom Holland's character, where Ethan <laughs> has to impersonate his defense guy mm-hmm. uh, with Alec Baldwin. By the way, he he gets introduced in the franchise. Great character, yes, um, playing very Alec Baldwiny. Um, and, uh, they go in and convince the, the prime minister that the syndicate is real, uh, and end up like shooting him in the neck, which is a great yeah. scene. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, I, I think it's, it's something like that because Lane has him in a corner and it's a great sequence. I, I just rewatched this one fairly recently. It's a great sequence where he kidnaps, um, Simon Pegg's character, uh, mm. Benji, and he has Ilsa over a barrel too. And he's mm-hmm. got he's got Benji in the explosive vest and everything right by in London. And Ethan cuts a deal with him, basically says, I've memorized the entirety of this list. Uh, I don't think it's a knock list, but it's something like that. Um, and you got to take me and let Benji go. 
and eventually he does and that that's what leads to that final conflict uh, yeah and there was something about a bomb he had to find like this uh, there's a missile that the that some country wants and he has to go find somebody who looks a lot like the first like one of the guys in the first mission impossible actually it might be the same guy from the I, i'm trying to remember if if it is the same guy from the the blonde blonde hair guy um oh is that in this movie? God damn it. I know. There, there are some things that get a little. No, that's, uh, uh, I think the missile is the fourth movie. Is that in the fourth that's, one? That's also where what I thought was the God's eye is. And it's. Uh, uh, well, yeah, the, the missile, he has, that's why he has to crash the car at the end of the fourth one mm-hmm. is because the old guy has the missile launch doohickey. Uh, so he's got to smush him with the car or whatever. It is. Which is mm-hmm. called. Jeremy, which is called fuck the me. magical MacGuffin. It is, yes, it's definitely the magical MacGuffin. I just want the name of it. All right, move on. <laughs> um, but yes, um, Rogue Nation is awesome. But then we get into what I think a lot of people. I'm I'm not on. I mean, I I. I don't disagree with people who think that fallout is the best one. Mm. Uh, I, I, like I said, I still prefer ghost protocol because of all the fun stuff that's in that, but there is no denying that the stunt work and fights and action sequences and fallout are some of the best you'll ever fucking see. Yeah. Yeah. Um, right up and, there with the raid movies and, and everything. Yes. And we, uh, you know, uh, you know, we were trying to figure out like whether or not there were IMAX scenes in the, in these last two. Yes. That this one, uh, especially at the end with a helicopter and, and Ethan's hanging on that, that little rope thing in the, by, behind, um, behind Henry Cavill in that one scene, that's a huge IMAX scene. That helicopter fight, man, is fucking, oh, that chase is, is it's ridiculous. absolutely amazing. <laughs> He goes, what is it? She says, like, what are you going to do? Because Henry Cavill's in a different helicopter. He's got to find a way to get from his helicopter Mm -hmm. into another helicopter in mid fucking air. And he's like, I'll figure something out. (laughs) Yet another movie, yet another, uh, like, um, marketing or whatever you want to call it thing where the Tom Cruise was shown to be behind the controls of this helicopter, was flying it himself. Um, and, uh, you know, they, they did that big, huge promotional, uh, five minute preview thing that I think got everybody. I mean, that they're, they're smart when they, when they're making these movies, man, like they could sell it on the name alone, but to, to come out with these little interesting little snippets is what really pushes them over the top. I think, which really well, gets and, like the casual person back in. Yeah. And I think it's a combination of showing, uh, look at how complicated, this is and also mm-hmm. look at how crazy tom cruise is and i think ultimately these movies especially I, i'm pretty sure they have signed for at least two seven and eight mm-hmm. uh it might be as much as three but uh, i mean the drive at this point is that why you market it that way is people want to see what the fuck is this guy going to do next or how did he break his spine this time uh let's spot the <laughs> the scene where his spleen burst um <clears throat> and uh the 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 jump it's not just a regular parachute jump i forget the name for a it. halo it's jump like, 
a halo jump. It's uh, yeah. I call it the way the fuck up there near space jump. Mm-hmm. And it's not easy. And he did it a hundred times or more over, because they had to, first of all, he had to learn how to do it. And then they had, they, they had to get these specific light conditions to match what they were shooting. Um, just again, you know, people think acting, Oh, I love to be an actor. Well, you know, never be Tom Cruise. That doesn't, <laughs> there's so few people for whom that would be fun. Um, I'm going to spend two years on this movie learning how to fly a helicopter while operating the cameras inside it and learning how to do halo jumps. Um, <clears throat> so, you know, it's ultimately a combination, I think, of his particular brand of star power uh, and the way that the films have continued to evolve and elevate that keeps this franchise, you know, relevant and interesting to people. What is this fucker going to do next? Um, going to go to <laughs> space is- with James Cameron. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> this is uh, what I was alluding to. They went way out of their way to do this whole he hasn't seen you before thing uh, <laughs> to do this because there's a guy, there's a there's a guy they want to emulate, but they don't know what they don't know what he looks like. So this is a, a unique challenge for them. This leads to this big bathroom fight that's fucking brutal. Oh, it's um, so good. It's so good, but um uh but like they you know henry cavill beats his ass so bad that they can't get the mask to work to look to like him and so they can't use it and so ethan ends up going up to vanessa kirby and just pretends to be that dude without uh you know without having the mask on the whole time yeah, yeah. and she's hinted at being uh, the granddaughter of Vanessa Redgrave, or yeah, Vanessa Redgrave from the mm-hmm. first movie, which we didn't we didn't talk about Vanessa Redgrave from the first movie. Who's excellent, by the way, mm-hmm. in that first movie. Uh, what a huge person to get into that into that villain role. Um, I love her in that, but uh, yeah, she's they they sort of hint that she's the granddaughter of her. Um, of in in that movie, and she's um, evil, but she's not all the way evil. She mm-hmm. she literally. I love her character. First of all, she's absolutely gorgeous. Yep. Um, but also, you know, she she just wants to get her money and get out of there. Like it, it shows like her brother is kind of an asshole. Like he doesn't mind killing people. Uh, mm-hmm. But uh, she's just kind of morally ambivalent, uh, which I appreciate. I hope she's in, you know, several more of these. Cause she's yeah, awesome. that's sort of what we get with Vanessa Ferguson, too. I mean, Rebecca Ferguson, not Vanessa Ferguson. Yeah, that's, what we yeah, get yeah. With, that's what we get with Rebecca Ferguson too, because she's always seemingly having to be to choose one side or another in her things as well. So that's always the intrigue of these spy movies is who do they have to, who do they have to serve in this? And does it conflict with Ethan Hunt's uh, job and everything? There's so many good things in this though, man, that him thinking a million steps ahead about how this prison break's going to happen mm-hmm. on the, on the truck. And then, you know, I mean, yeah, it's kind of a cheat, but it's a it is an awesome scene that shows him already thinking about how this is going to go and then how he's going to solve it. And he goes all the way back to him, like it's final destination and shit. And he's like, you know, uh, you know, and all right, we're going to do this, but I kind of think of how in the fuck we're going to get away with this, uh, and how I'm going to, how I'm going to both look like I'm on your side and then not be on your side afterwards. Um, uh, what do we think of, uh, of, is it, what's his, what's his first Solomon name? Lane. Is it Solomon Lane? Yeah. Yeah. I keep it. The, the, yeah, they, in uh fallout IMDB actually says Solomon Lane in the, in the previous one, it's just like Lane. 
Yeah, because yeah, <laughs> yeah. he's the head of the syndicate. What do we think of him as a, as one of the baddies? He gets two movies to do that. Yeah, I'm. I hope they don't bring him back. They probably mm-hmm. will. I think they're trying to develop their own Murdoch from the old MacGyver. Yeah, um, <laughs> yeah, villain yeah, that recurs yeah. every season. Um, uh, he's okay. He's not bad. Of course, uh, I think that's mm-hmm. one thing the the series shows that it struggles with is is good villains, and the third one is really the only really good villain. Mm-hmm. Um, and the rest of them all suffer from this because they focus so much on Ethan and his team. Um, but yeah, give him more to do. I think the actor is fine uh, mm-hmm. playing the villain here. He just doesn't yeah. seem to have much to do other than sneer and sound yeah. British. Yeah, <laughs> the fallout, the Ethan. fallout, Ethan. I do do like the twist in this uh, with Henry Cavill being the ultimate villain Mm -hmm. um, because he he sets up as, you know, none of these guys from Voight to, uh, I guess, maybe Dougray Scott, uh, but Philip Seymour Hoffman, the old guy that gets his ass beaten, the the Carvana, uh, Lane, (laughs) they don't seem... They don't seem physically <laughs> imposing, but obviously Henry Cavill is the perfect foil mm-hmm. for, for Ethan. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, he's he's giant. He's probably two Tom Cruises stacked together on yeah. top of each other. Uh, and so I do, I do like that switch. Of course, you know they ended up you know killing him, but yeah. Anyway. No, just, they, they, I love everything also outside of that helicopter scene because while that's happening they're looking for that nuclear bomb mm-hmm. and, and, uh, and there's that run in with Michelle Monaghan and West B- surprise, West Bentley, sudden West uh, Bentley. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, and, uh, and, and she begins to realize that the only fucking reason why Ethan hunt would even be in this area is because something bad's about to happen. I love that. Oh, it's great to get to catch up and blah, 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 blah. And then she realizes, Oh, you being here is probably not a good idea, especially when she finds out <laughs> Luther's there too. Yeah, yeah. Um, I love the fight that Simon Pegg and Rebecca Ferguson have in the shack where uh, oh, they're yeah. tied up. Uh, that's a very inventive uh, fight sequence. Um, mm-hmm. It's really, I mean, there's there aren't a lot of weak spots in this movie, um, and uh, you know, like we were talking, how you know, even Ghost Protocol has kind of a weak ending. Uh, this one does not. Like everything no. throughout is is pretty solid. I think that's why it is a lot of people's favorite. Is this just doesn't have very many weak spots at all. Um, <clears throat> but like you, Chris, I prefer Ghost Protocol just for that little dash of fun. Um, yeah. yeah, but I, we're in good hands with McQuarrie. The last two have been fantastic. Uh, these next two will be fantastic. I have no doubt. It's amazing to get a movie where like the behind the scenes footage is every bit as interesting as the actual movie oh, yeah. itself. Cause you see McQuarrie tweeting pictures of like scouting locations on that cliff face where mm. uh, the final sequence is, mm-hmm. you know, Tom Cruise learning how to, <clears throat> it always amazes me. I keep saying this, but <clears throat> it amazes me that he remembers to act in that helicopter yeah. sequence where he's like, I don't know what's going on right now. You know, he's because he's yeah. not, his character isn't a helicopter pilot. So he's like, you know, I'll figure this out. So he has to look like he doesn't know what he's doing as he's clearly not only doing something dangerous, but operating the cameras and all that shit too. Yeah. Uh, It's, it's incredible. This, this is a feat. I mean, the fucking one stunt that we haven't talked about is the, the motorcycle stuff in Paris. 
No, god damn, that song's so good. Having seen uh, the Arc de Triomphe in person and seeing how much traffic is around that circle, the fact that he goes through that shit is like, Mm. ah, and apparently they (laughs) actually did. They figured out a way to space those cars to to actually get him in there oh god I and there's a man. great visual scene too where he's driving through paris and he goes to that thing where there's all the like uh bars are on the left and right side uh-huh. and everything and as he speeds through it those bars are all like you know it yeah. looks like he's going through a warp of some sort yeah. or whatever but um is it is it rogue nation where simon Pegg makes that uh, magnet thing where he's like it'll catch you uh yeah no uh that's ghost protocol Oh, is that goes uh, Oh, yeah, because Jeremy it's, Renner uh, has Jeremy the, Renner, the Jeremy stuff. Renner on. Yeah, 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 because he guides him through and everything. He's like, whoa. <laughs> it's another <laughs> scene, another scene in Ghost Protocol. It's so funny because because Simon Pegg is so confident that it's going to work, and he's pissed off that anybody thinks that it's not. You know, and he's like, so you want me to jump out of here, and then it'll catch you. <laughs> <laughs> That's the fun, man. And and right before that, I like I, Jeremy Renner, I think, is is – almost underused in these movies. I don't, he's not in fallout at all. I don't think, Nope. Um, <laughs> but they, they show the scene of him stretching before he gets into the, <laughs> into yeah. the shoot and everything. <laughs> yeah. It's so good. And then of course you, in fallout, you've got that wonderful scene where Benji doesn't have Rogue the Nation. thing, the Mac. No, no, no. In fallout where oh. he doesn't have the, uh, the, the MacBook or whatever it is in 3d. And he's mm-hmm. like, okay, go that away. And he's like, he, oh, he throws yeah. the chair out the window. He's like, why aren't you going? He's like, I'm jumping out a window. <laughs> and there's that woman behind him and all the office workers. There's that woman behind him who gives him that nod. Like, yeah, you can do this. Buddy. That's it. Look, that's the hallmark that I don't think was even in, certainly not the first two. Uh, the fact that before he goes out to the Burj Khalifa, Ethan is scared. Like, uh, you know, Simon Pegg is just like accepting that he's going to do this. And he's like, right. all right, go ahead. And he's yeah. like, hanging on one second <laughs> before he goes out. It's the same thing with jumping out the window. You know, you think, oh, of course he's going to jump out the window. He's Ethan Hunt. But he's like, holy mm-hmm. shit, this is good. And this is where I think he broke his foot, right? Yeah. Was that jump from yes. Yeah. No, uh, it might have been the jump from the window. It's where he was landing on top of a building or runway or whatever that was what got him. Even for Tom Cruise, that's an epic running sequence. He runs really like is almost the entire length of Paris. In yeah, it's, it's really well shot too. Makes it seem like he's going 60 miles an hour. Yeah. 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 Oh, it's so good. I want to watch it again right now. I want to watch this whole series again. I uh, know. And, and we probably even missed some, some highlights as well. You know, you just, uh, that's how many like good things in there. And, and you know, talking about Jeremy Renner, we've discussed this before too. Did we've always wondered if he was supposed to be the replacement Tom Cruise, like they were grooming him to be that. Now, I don't know how, how close that is considering Cruise is like a main power behind these movies. Like I don't, I don't even, I mean, I think he and, uh, uh, what is it? His producing partner, is it Paula Wagner or Laura Wagner? I can't remember. Um, Paula, Paula Wagner. Um, there, yeah, I think it, yeah, I don't know. They're, they're the, the force behind the movie. So if they were putting Renner in as a possible replacement, then that's Tom Cruise saying, oh, well, you know, I mean, I still want to have mission impossible later. Well, guess we'll use Jeremy Renner if people don't like me, but obviously people 
like him a lot. And Renner, I don't know if Renner has, I just doesn't, I don't think he's got it in him to be what Tom Cruise is in these movies. No, I really certainly don't not. Think he does. I don't, I don't even know. I know that in ghost protocol, Leah Sadu and, uh, Patton Oswalt did the actual yeah, fight. <laughs> they did the fight sequence in the Burj Khalifa themselves mm-hmm. with no stunt doubles because of Tom Cruise. Mm-hmm. I know that oh, Henry Cavill, was in the plane. He didn't. I don't think he jumped in the halo jump mm-hmm. uh, because he's not psychotic. But you have to be psychotic. You got to be like Tom Cruise, which he was doing all the way back in the first movie, uh, to to want to do this. And you know, there's, there's nobody else. Self preservation is, is not to be done, disdained. Like I understand. When he's done you. doing it, there's nobody else that's going to come along to do that kind of stuff. They're going to have to either completely reinvent what mission impossible means, but there's no, the rock is not going to fucking jump out of a plane. Uh, hundred times. No. no, they'd have to get one of these, uh, you know, uh, eco UAS kind of guys, uh, to yeah. do it because yeah. oh, that would be rad. It, it would be, rad. be, it would be <laughs> tremendously rad. Um, uh, but that's what I think they're going to have to find some, one of these Hong Kong, uh, you know, Thailand, uh, action stars to do it because I don't know of many Americans that are going to do Tom Cruise stuff if Tom right. Cruise decides you're, to. You're right. Well, part of it is you know he's unique even in the American film industry because yep. of insurance and oh, yeah. Um, yeah. I think there's some I'll just pay for my own insurance kind of shit going on with his bank account, but mm-hmm. most studios wouldn't let you know The Rock jump out of a plane a hundred times. Yeah. These days studios are telling their stars to apologize to China for calling Taiwan <laughs> a state. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. That was, yep. that was a weird ass story that kept coming up in every mm-hmm. publication that I looked at. <clears throat> God. Yeah, John um, Cena is definitely not going to be doing this stuff. <laughs> uh, when does mission impossible seven come out? It says 2022, May 27th, 2022 is when it's yeah, supposed it was to supposed out. to be this year. It's in yeah. the can, right? Like it's, it's uh, all done. They finished filming. Yeah. Yeah. Really? I, I can't wait. Look, I'm I mean, pretty sure it, it, Tom Cruise stuff, except for American made any Tom Cruise joint is going to be appointment viewing for me. I'm going to see top gun Maverick, Probably mm-hmm. an IMAX. Maybe that's why it got pushed back that far. Maybe he doesn't want to compete uh, yeah. with Top Gun, uh, and there, there wasn't any way to put it over the summer. So they're like, okay, well, let's do the fall. But then they remembered that Top Gun also has to come out. So maybe yeah. that's the reason why they pushed it back that far. Well, and they um, wrapped in February, but originally they were going to shoot seven and eight simultaneously that's right yeah, mm-hmm. and during the pandemic they changed that so they are wrapped on seven um and probably on post-production there and pre-production on eight this movie i guess it was it seven the set of uh mission impossible seven where tom cruise went off on that guy for not wearing a mask yeah yeah oh, okay he's yeah. even recently defended that in what was uh, both fair-minded and egotistical response where he basically took credit for creating creating the system that allowed Hollywood to go back to film. <laughs> I saw that a lot of people defended him. A lot of people I, said, Oh no, he's right. But dude, I defended the, him. The amount of the, like, it's just like Tom Cruise. Everything is a little over the top. Yep. Like he could have cut that off at 30 seconds and gotten his point across. Oh, but for no. sure. It goes for five minutes or whatever yeah, the fuck. I bet even when he eats eggs, he does it at 11. 
Yeah, he uh, does. Food. He does. Absolutely. <laughs> There's no doubt about it. He eats the fuck out of those eggs. Yeah, he does. <laughs> can't take this shit lightly. All right, everybody. It's time to talk about better help. Better help. Yay. It's so good. Online counseling. I just did it uh, last week. Online counseling right there in your pocket, on your laptop, on your desktop. Um, I've We've talked a lot about like, you know, um, how convenient this is and, and wonderful and that you'd have to be prepared. You got to, tr- you know, try to work your way through it and everything. But honestly, I, I don't talk enough about like the joy of the therapeutic process, the counseling process, because you can, it's hard for me to wrap my head around, especially at first, but you can sit there for an hour and talk about yourself, like really anything that you want to address. Like, you know, I've been feeling sad the last week. Or I've been feeling, you know, relaxed or I've been feeling worried or I've been feeling stressed. And just talking about that stuff and getting honest feedback uh, from a trained person, a trained counselor, is really a nice thing. Because, you know, we as Americans in particular, you know, typically don't focus on ourselves. We typically focus on either what people think of us or other people. It's hard to really carve out some time to address yourself and better help helps people do that all the time. Online professional licensed counselors that are there for you and you get matched up to them and you're on your way. It's so good. It's so good. I just realized something and I need your help because I don't know. It's David Bowie, David Bowie. Well, <laughs> I was just realizing how versatile better help is. Mm-hmm. And um, you said in your pocket, and I started thinking, man, you know, I could do better help from right here at my desktop computer. Mm-hmm. I could do it from my bedroom. Uh-huh. Um, I don't have to use video if I don't want, if I don't look nope. presentable or have my makeup on. I could go out in the front yard, climb a tree, <laughs> and I could do better help. Uh, and it made me start thinking of green eggs and ham. Like I could do it on a train. I could do it in the rain. <laughs> I could do it in the dark. Um, uh, do it on a lark with a fox in a box. Uh, you can do it anywhere. And I think that's the beauty of it, uh, is that it is versatile to your need that day. And it may change from appointment to appointment. You may want to do it by phone. You may want to do video chat. You may want to just do text. Um, and you can, uh, you can. and you can still get help. And, uh, I just think it's wonderfully versatile and, uh, it makes it, makes therapy uh, more appealing uh, to a wider audience. Yeah, this is good stuff. This is, okay, sometimes you're going to be challenged. Sometimes you're going to uh, have to delve into the reasons behind why you're feeling the way that you are. And sometimes that's not pleasant. But uh, by and large, this is a very pleasant process. Better help. You, you listener, you, you've heard us talk about it before. Do it right now. Go to betterhelp.com slash sendcast. 10% off your first month. Uh, and you're on your way, man. If you've been delaying it, if you're like, ah, do that later, it later is today. So do it now. Betterhelp.com slash syncast. Uh, that was fun going over all those mission impossibles. I don't remember everything like, I like I would want to, but, uh, God, uh, there's, there's four, at least four classics in that mm-hmm. series. Yep. One movie that vies for it, but doesn't quite. I mean, Philip Seymour Hoffman alone nearly makes Mission Impossible 3 a classic. Yeah. Yep. And then one dud. 
Um, but, uh, God, you, you can't, you can't find very many series that do that well over mm-hmm. six movies. All right. Well, uh, let's go to the recommends and warns. Totes amaze balls. There right. It won the Academy Award. Oh, for what? For best movie ever made. Oh, I want to start. All right. Yes. Army of the fucking dead. Army oh. of the fucking dead. Army it really should be called dead. fucking army of the fucking dead. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Have, you, have either of you guys seen this yet? I have not. No. I think it has a cool premise, but <sighs> I have not seen it. And You're I have right. heard a lot You're of right, it does. mixed to negative reactions. I I heard very good things. Currently, it stands at 70% aggregate on Rotten Tomatoes, a 5.9 on IMDb. Um, I know I know what this movie is trying to do. I know it's not trying to be Citizen Kane, okay? I'm not comparing it to Inception or something like that. Mm-hmm. But this this movie is so fucking dumb, like it it has to it has to try to be dumb. Uh I I Dave Batista seems like a nice guy. Uh, you know, generally uh, he was very good in Blade Runner 2049. He wasn't asked to do a whole lot. Uh, he's always funny as Drax in Guardians of the Galaxy and all that stuff. I always thought he was a superfluous character, but he is funny, especially the whole I'm invisible and starts eating you know, Cheetos or whatever it is. Mm-hmm. Um, I never saw Stuber, uh, but uh, having Sucks. seen <clears throat> yeah, having seen Army of the Dead... I don't know if this cat's a leading man. All right. Uh, he, he just doesn't have the acting chops. He's obviously got the physicality and he can sir, do action stuff. Sir, you need to watch final score because that's, that's the movie for you, oh, buddy. I remember you, you've like warned or, uh, talked about that. I think that I straight least. up warned the shit out of that movie. Actually. <laughs> so the, the premise of this movie is that, uh, by the way, everybody talks about the opening sequence, the opening titles, uh, of this movie, the opening titles are fantastic. It shows uh, how the zombies uh, came to be in Las Vegas, what they did, and how the government walled off the city. And so that's the conceit of this movie. There, there's a zombie outbreak. There's an alpha zombie that came out of the thing because somebody gave another person a, a roadhead, gave him a blowjob, mm. and he crashed into an army truck carrying an alpha zombie, and he went to Vegas, infected everybody. And so the government decided, fuck it, we're going to wall Vegas off. Then we're going to nuke it. We're going to nuke Vegas. Um, And so like all the vestiges of people around Vegas, they're like, we got to get out of here because they're going to nuke it. But uh, there's a guy that has money in a casino in Vegas, and he wants these people, a team of people to break in get that money and they get a certain percentage of it. So they have to invade the army of the dead. Sounds like an interesting concept, right? It really Uh, does. Except for the fact that I think by the time you wall off Las Vegas, that virus has gone all over the place. Like Mm -hmm. I'm no virologist. Dude, that is the least of your worries in this fucking. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, I, I, I cannot wait to send this movie. First of all, this one is a long one. It's uh, 148 minutes, which is fucking ridiculous. Jesus. 
okay, I'm going to tell you the single most offensive part of this movie, and there's a lot of offensive shit in this. Um, there's a sequence at the very end uh, where uh, one character dies and another character is is tending to that person uh, as as that person dies. And they start playing the Cranberries zombie. Ah. Except the acoustic version. The, it's ah. in your head. Oh, so he's doing his Dawn of the Dead thing, like where he had Richard Cheese and the Lounge Lizards yeah. doing. Uh, well, it's still the, the Cranberries. It's the Cranberries oh, doing their it? acoustic version of this. Mm-hmm. But that, that, <laughs> he should have used the about- children's choir. <laughs> yes that song yes. is about the ira bombing in london that killed two kids yeah and he he literally used it because it's called zombie mm-hmm. and like what? i think that's a pretty good summation of Zack snyder if you ask me. yep yep i mean fuck a duck this movie's so fucking dumb mm-hmm. are there things that are decent maybe uh mm. you know there's some Interesting action, but it's, of course, slow motion uh, and everything. There's some interesting effects, but it's also the zombie looks are not very good. Uh, the uh, The standout for this is Ella Purnell, um, who plays Dave Bautista's daughter. And <clears throat> she is, I don't mean this to sound pe- pejorative because she's a young female, but she's a firecracker, uh, mm-hmm. meaning that she just really stands out on the screen. She's gorgeous, obviously, but she's also uh, seems like she's got a little little juice in the tank, a little little junk in the trunk, mm-hmm, mm-hmm, little mm-hmm. little 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 extra, little extra oomph. She was in. Uh, Chris and I were talking the other day. She was in Miss Peregrine's Home for Peculiar Children with uh, uh, Asa Butter Butter Buddy Buddy Butterball like Butterball, um, and uh, so yeah, Tignatero is is good in her role. But the movie all the way over is hot garbage. Um, mm. I think people, if you're if you're going to watch this, you're going to watch this. Uh, but keep your expectations very, very low, and maybe mm. they'll be exceeded. Mm. Are the Snyder Bros out in force on this movie at all? Uh, it seems a little muted, but yes, I think they're all supporting it. I've seen some crossover of the Snyderverse Army of the Dead hashtags. Mm. What is the deal with those people? I thought it was just literally justice league like they no. they loved these characters so much well, that he they keeps wanted to telling them <clears throat> he keeps feeding them by by showing drawings and telling them what he would have done and i would have had this person play robin and i would have had this person play green lantern and i would have had this in the next movie and this would have been the and so now they want all of that and so they're they, Snyder Bros. They're not Justice League Bros. They're they're on board with whatever that's this dude does. I have okay. compared it to not everybody who likes Zack Snyder movies is a Snyder Bro. Let's be clear about that. That's true. If you're listening to us and you like Zack Snyder movies, that's not who we're talking about. We're talking about people who spam and harass online. Um, and it's I compared it recently to uh, K-pop um, in that. <laughs> It's a cult of personality. You can't convince me that American K-pop fans love that music. 
It's just like Taylor Swift. Taylor Swift could put out an album of her farting, and all the Swifties would be like, "It's the best, it's the best art I've ever heard." Because they that was love basically Taylor reputation, Swift. by the way. They have deified her, and so everything she does is perfect. That's what's happened with Zack Snyder and that one section of Volatile Snyder Bros. Everything he does, all his ideas are great i sucker punch getting a resurgence of love from this one specific group of snyder bros like oh sucker sucker punch is brilliant blah blah and i'm just like you are just drinking kool-aid now you love the man doesn't matter what he does and that's okay i guess to a certain extent i was Uh, just about to say like when we did and everything wrong with sucker punch that's where i first saw there was this I don't, I don't, I, it was the first time I saw that kind of thing, that kind of phenomenon, I think, where some, everybody's sort of dedicated to this one director. I remember, I remember doing, we did that. I don't, I, and in the comments were, I was like sitting there going, there's actually love for this movie. <laughs> that movie is How can you garbage. defend this movie? Yeah. yeah like yeah. there's nothing, I mean, honestly. And, and, uh, and so like that was the first taste of it. And then the Justice League thing just exacerbated everything. Um, but yeah, they're Snyder Bros. Anytime the, a new Zack Snyder comes out, they're out in force. So were they Snyder Bros? I'm sorry to stay on this for so long. Were they Snyder Bros before Justice League, or they yes. became Snyder Bros yes. because 100% of Justice League? Yes. Yes, yes, and they have added to their numbers since Justice League and the whole like Snyder Cut. Because I believe we came out with that Sucker Punch video before any Snyder Cut stuff. Yeah, came, yeah, yeah. Came about. Oh, yeah, definitely. Oh, yeah. Um, so, yeah, that's always been a thing. Um, because of because of 300, Sucker Punch, and Watchmen, um, I think when he got the job to do Man of Steel, there were already Snyder bros who were like, this is the best decision that anybody's uh, ever made. Mm-hmm, okay, mm-hmm. okay. Yeah. Hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, Army right, of the Dead well, sucks balls. <clears throat> I am so. gonna record warn, and I want to make this a hard recommend. But I gotta, I gotta make some caveats, and there are enough caveats that I'm gonna, it's gonna pull it into a record warn. But yesterday, while flipping channels, I discovered a television show that is two years, a year and a half old that I had never heard of, and it's called Court Cam. Dun, dun, dun. Court Cam, <laughs> and it is basically <laughs> like if you mixed cops with People's Court, only something interesting horrifying or fucking crazy is going to happen on every single court case they show you so the first caveat is this shows a little trashy at times Mm. the second caveat is that like a lot of reality shows on cable it's a lot of filler before they go to the break here's what's coming up next and it'll be a 20 second scene when they come back from break they'll play that same fucking 20 seconds again God, here's I what hate you're that about shit. to see and then they go into the thing a lot of commercials but i found this shit fascinating so the very first thing that i saw was a kid from Lebanon Tennessee and these are you know the cameras are security cameras sometimes they're cameras set up because they're broadcasting local television or, or nationally so you get all sorts of different camera angles and views. But the first one I saw was the kid in Lebanon, Tennessee, who was there for a, just a preliminary hearing for his marijuana possession charge. And he lights up while at the podium talking to the judge about how marijuana is a good, oh my uh, God. Uh, good drug. <laughs> um, the next one I see 
is this dude, I forget where this guy is, but he's angry and he's there and the judge sets his bail at $25,000. He's like an armed robber. And he starts laughing at her. And she's like, you think that's funny? And he was like, yeah. And she said, $50,000. Oh, Jesus. Um, and as he's being led away, he turns back around and flips her off and mouths off. And she's like, 30 days, contempt of court. Uh, oh. And he turns around to say something else and then leaves. And you could see the judge turn to her clerk and go, it's a good thing he didn't come back. He just would have got another 30 days. Jesus. Well, guess what? He came back. Oh, and wow. she goes contempt of court a hundred days before he even says a thing and oh, then he my. walks out and in the hallway he yells i can't wait to see you on the street after all this and punch your bitch face and she oh, goes god bring him back in <laughs> <laughs> and she had to add all these charges to him from mouth it off what a There's episode where people try to escape by running from court in their cuffs. I saw a clip where much like the, the night of a girlfriend pretend of a prisoner pretended to be a curious law student and was talking to a lawyer and sat in a chair and used her hand to put something under the chair. And then her boyfriend comes in for his hearing an hour later and grabs the drugs from under the chair. <laughs> and <she> left him. <laughs> but there's also, okay. The, there's also this heartfelt shit. So one was a wedding of two people who had lived together and had three kids. One of their kids had died six years ago. They're getting married in a courthouse. A judge is doing the wedding. And right before he pronounces them, he brings in the guy who got their kid's heart donated to him so they can oh, stethoscope, damn. listen to their son's heartbeat on their wedding day, as they say, I do. That one made me cry. <laughs> then there's ones where they do witness, uh, victim, um, Victim something statements where the victims of a crime get to tell the perpetrator before he's sentenced how the crime impacted their lives. And there's yeah. some of those are angry, but some of them are oddly forgiving and loving. Um, and then on, on top of that, it'll be like, yeah, you are charged with the murder and dismembering of Lucy Watkins. And so far, we have only recovered her torso because you have refused to tell us where her head, hands, and feet are. So it's like oddly R-rated sometimes and then heartfelt PG. And that's just a little bit of everything across the board. These are the people who made that live PD show. In fact, the host oh, of yeah, that yeah. show is yeah. the host of this show. Um too many commercials, occasionally trashy, occasionally exploitative, but riveting. And I watched that shit for four, I mean, it was on for four or five hours. They ran a whole marathon of it. And uh, that's my recommend with a little bit of warrant in there. For you right there. No. What is it on? What is it on? Uh, it's on A&E. A&E. A&E or AMC. Ooh. I don't think I've watched Ooh. the show on A&E. This sounds <laughs> very A&E. A&E. <laughs> Yeah, A&E used to be like biographies and like, mm -hmm. you know, actual interesting mm -hmm. stuff. And yes. I haven't watched anything on there in ages. I think that that was the network that had live PD, right? I think it was. Yeah, that show got canceled last fall. Mm -hmm. um, speaking of anniversaries, this is the 30 year anniversary of New Jack City. Oh, I love this movie. Oh. A movie I had never seen before. Um, oh my god! Yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh my um, god! Yeah, oh my god! Um, snipes. Yes, uh, this is 
I, rem- the, I remember I was 14 years old when this movie came out, obviously not old enough to go see it at the time, but there was a lot of like, you know, I think bullshit stories about how this movie was like, you know, causing violence and people were like killing each other in theaters and stuff like that. And it's like, mm. <sighs> and then forever, if you were, especially at Hollywood 27 and everything, anytime you would get any kind of black movie at all any i mean it wasn't a gangster movie or anything there would always be concerns about getting more security in the in the theater and everything um but uh the uh, new jack city i'd never seen before and as years went on i just never really heard much about it but it was always something that was just like you know it was something like i need to see this movie at some point i've got the blu-ray of it i need to watch it um so yeah, New Jack City is uh is about uh uh crack cocaine in the 80s. Uh New York uh Wesley Snipes is a is a a big time drug dealer, but he's smarter than your average drug dealer. Um that's some one thing that I kind of wish that they would have gone more in depth on was his intelligent moves in this movie. Um uh they don't do that nearly enough, I don't think. But uh but he has this idea that uh, he's going to take over an entire apartment complex, the Carter complex. You may have uh, heard of the Carter in a lot of these like Lil Wayne albums. Hmm. Um, and, uh, and I believe that's what he models the, the title of those albums off of is the Carter apartments. He, he wants to take this over and have his own drug lab inside of it. And basically just getting all the people who live in the building and anywhere near anybody who neighbors the building on his product, because just like cocaine is huge, but crack cocaine is becoming like even bigger, uh, amongst, uh, the aficionados and everything. So, um, we have a variety of characters here. Ice T plays a cop in this movie and that's, you know, we're in 2021. That doesn't seem like a big deal, but in 1991, that was a huge deal because he had his lifestyle, his, his, all his songs were very anti-cop yeah, type cop stuff. Killer. Hell cop killer. <laughs> yeah. He was doing um, body count back in those days. <laughs> right. And, uh, he was, he was not known for any kind. In fact, this is one of his first roles, I think. And, um, and uh, I read up on some things later too, was that uh, uh, Mario Van Peebles, who directed this movie, um, overheard Ice T saying talking some shit in a bathroom uh, at a club one night, and he told all of his people, "I want that guy to play the cop in my movie." Hmm. Um, huh. And uh, and Ice T was like, "I don't know, you, you know, you hear people all the time saying they want to do stuff with you, and you don't." you know, you don't think it's going to go anywhere, but like the next week I'm driving on the lot of Warner brothers and I'm, I'm trying out for this part. Um, and, uh, and, uh, also notable Chris rock plays, mm-hmm. uh, a character called Pookie in this, who mm-hmm. is, uh, at first he's just kind of a thief. He's pretending to be a drug dealer or whatever. He's, he steal he steals ice teas, like ice teas an undercover, you know, cop and, uh, and Pookie steals his money at the beginning of this thing it leads to a relationship where when Pookie actually gets hooked on crack 
Ice-T takes him under his wing and tries to get him to uh, get off the drug and everything. And even uh, hires him to be on the undercover team that's trying to infiltrate Nino Brown's, the Carter uh, establishment and everything. So it's a series of ice T and Judd Nelson. I couldn't yep. fucking believe Judd Nelson yep. was in this movie. <laughs> um, he's great in it. He's great. Um, uh, it, they, they partner up and they're trying to take Nino Brown down and they get a lot of evidence about what's going on in this, in this operation, but they can never seem to get Nino Brown himself uh, during this whole thing. And meanwhile, Nino is, uh, you know, he's, he's fucking around. He's, he's got a, I don't know if it's his wife or it's his girlfriend, but, uh, he, he treats her like shit, starts fucking this other, other woman who just so happens to be his best friend, G money's, uh, 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 girl and everything. So they, he's causing some, some, some tension in his own organization about, some of the actions that he's doing. And meanwhile, also his takeover of the Carter apartments, uh, is, uh, um, a big slap in the face to the Italian, uh, mob that's, that's in, that's in place here, because generally if you want to take over a place, you have to, you have to ask permission or you have to do something. Uh, I, you know, I don't know what the fuck you'd have to do. You'd have to like, you have to start a war to actually take people's turf, I guess, you know, and that's what he kind of does. He, anytime somebody comes out and says, Hey, you know, uh, this is our turf and everything. He treats them like shit. And, and, and I think almost expects them to just leave him alone mm-hmm. during this movie. Spoiler mm-hmm. alert. They don't leave him alone. Um, <laughs> but, Wesley Snipes uh, is a badass in this movie. Oh yeah, he sure is. This is, and Wesley Snipes, believe it or not, was not a huge star at this point either. He had done Major League, um, and I don't know if much anything. Uh, I mean, he'd been a small character actor in some things, but I don't think he had become a big star at this point. So, like, a lot of this movie is a bunch of people who we look at as big stars now, but at the mm-hmm. time, they weren't. And so no, Chris Rock, right. you sit there and go, oh, my God, Chris Rock. It's playing this small character in this and everything. No, he wasn't big either. Um, uh, yeah, but this movie. Uh, no? King of New York uh, as a really crazy character. Almost yeah. almost similar, like a, a crazy version of Nino Brown. And he had mm-hmm. done Mo Better Blues. But I don't. I don't think yeah, he was and a I'm huge not sure. character in that. Yeah, I don't think he's a huge character in in, in that, and he's, he's certainly not a huge star by this yeah, point. It's yeah, after yeah. it's after this, and white men can't jump, and all that. That's where he becomes a big star. Uh, but I really enjoyed this. I mean, especially when you go back into this era, man. You start listening to the music that's going on in this. This is just oh my god! I'm so 14 again watching this movie. Um, in uh, but uh, this is like this is just a movie full of great performances, uh, a nice a nice plot, and uh, God, why haven't I not seen this before? You know, that's a good good movie. Basically, that came what it comes down to recently, yeah. Okay, so to round up uh, what we just talked about, I recommended New Jack City. Uh, uh, Barrett. He says, "Warn amend Army of the Dead." But are you? you no. Like why did I say up, that? No. Straight up warn. Straight up warn. No. It's, past Barrett is a dumbass. Mm-hmm. 
And uh, Jeremy Reckon warned Court Court <laughs> I'm going <laughs> to totally watch this <laughs> TV show that's on A&E here in the States. Uh, let's go on to questions. Question. Question. I got something to say. I want the truth. I am listening. All right. Let's do the first one. You know, I'm, I'm going to go for the horny stuff. Uh, here we go. Hell hey, yeah. you lovely fellas. Hi. Uh, my question is an interesting one. Well, good for you. What, <laughs> <laughs> what movie did you want to watch because of the explicit sexual content that you ended up liking the whole thing? This person's example is Itumama Tambien, a movie I first saw on Sundance Channel. And the only reason I wanted to start watching it uh, was the sexuality of it and ended up really loving it. Of course you did. That movie fucking rules. Mm-hmm. Oh, uh, uh, basic instinct all the way, baby. Uh, I was, I was 14 or 15 and I saw that trailer, that trailer. Oh Mm -hmm. my God. Was, was, gave me five boners. Um, Mm -hmm. I was, uh, I was like, holy, holy shit. Is it, can they do this movie in theaters? Is this for real? Um, I don't, I did not see it in theaters, obviously not old enough to go watch that, but I did sneak it later on, uh, because of, uh, some, you know, some curiosities with the blockbuster card back in the day, uh, <laughs> or I don't think my parents put an age restriction on it. So I could nice. technically just go and get basic instinct and stuff, but also a friend rented it. And I think that's where I first saw any, any part of it, but it's weird. I, I, I actually enjoy basic instinct to take the sex scenes out of it. It's such a fucking ludicrous movie. Yes, it is. Uh, oh, yeah. Paul Verhoeven, like in, in everything that he does, you have to look for the, just the insanity that's in, in involved and all that. And there's nothing real about basic instinct whatsoever. But, um, but the, the idea that, uh, you know, especially men like Mike, you know, like Michael Douglas plays in this movie who think they're the hero of their own story and everything. I love this idea that there's someone who's there to keep them in check basically mm-hmm. and saying, look, you aren't the, you aren't as big of a deal as you think you are and everything. But anyway, yeah, I watched that movie because of some sex and mm-hmm. Sharon Stone, mm-hmm. Sharon Stone was, was the epitome of sexiness back then. And I, uh, I, I very much, very much, uh, watched it because of that. Another one, which I don't think that you guys put down. And if you did, I'm sorry if you did, but eyes wide shut, even though eyes oh, wide shut oh, ended up not being like the, as salacious as I thought it was going to be. Cause remember there were a hundred rumors about that movie while they were shooting it. Mm-hmm. Or GC. Um, oh yeah. <laughs> there was a, there was a, there was a rumor that Harvey Keitel while he was still on that movie got so aroused during one scene that Nicole Kidman had to call somebody and get him fired or something, which, you know, <laughs> fucking didn't happen. Do you know why he, why he left that set, by the way? I just no. found this out uh, because of all the takes that Kubrick wanted to do. Yeah. He yeah, was like, yeah. there was one scene where he was, he, he got to like 20 takes and Keitel was like, fuck this and just walked out. Yeah. Don't, don't ever work with Fincher then, uh, Harvey. <laughs> yeah. No kidding. <laughs> but, uh, I just remember eyes wide shut because it just felt like it was going to be this just, just sex arama all the way through it. But if you knew anything about, see, this is the thing. I knew a lot about Kubrick, but when eyes wide shut came out, I should have been like, but I was 22 when this yeah. movie came out. Yeah. So I was, I wasn't thinking on these terms, but I was like, 
you know, you should, I should have just stopped buying it. You know, I mean, Kubrick has had nudity in his movies before, but it's not like he's, he's gone like crazy with it, like crazy horny or anything with it. And that's exactly what the movie, especially the first movie, the first version we saw where the orgy scene is just a bunch of like, they, they, you know, they put black, uh, no, they put, uh, they put these, uh, people in black robes in front mm-hmm. of all the sex that was going on. So, but that was one that drew me in. I just remember telling, because we had three prints of eyes wide shut telling the projectionist is like, all right, we know, I think I've told this story before. Um, all right, we're all going to get a, a print of eyes wide shut and we'll all go into our personal spank holes. To watch. <laughs> 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 oh, and then you watch man. it and you're like, Oh, that oh. movie. Yeah. That movie is horny, but it, it's, but it's not as explicit as you would think. I mean, yeah. It, the, the sexiest thing to me is the opening shot of Nicole Kidman mm-hmm. with the, the dress dropping. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, uh, it's just amazing. Yeah. It, yeah. It's a great, great call. I also have two answers to this question. Sweet. The first one was Boogie Nights. Yeah. Because when Boogie Nights came out, I had actually seen Hard Eight, um, his first really? movie. I did not know Boogie Nights was from the guy who made Hard Eight. Mm-hmm. Uh, I just knew movie, lots of stars, literally about the porn industry and a guy with a giant dick and lots of nudity. And honestly, that movie could have sucked and I would have enjoyed it. Um, mm-hmm. But just so happens to be an amazing movie, a fantastic yeah. movie um, that also has lots of nudity and a big giant dick. Um, <laughs> the other one, the other one is uh, The Player. And this might sound a little odd, but The Player has one of the fucking sexiest sex scenes, sweaty moaning close up on sweaty bodies. Uh, And of course this movie came out before I was going to movies and theaters. So we're at the video store and a friend recommends I watch this movie. Well, what's it about? Well, it's about the business behind the making of movies. And I said, that sounds boring. And he said, (laughs) it's got one of the best sex scenes ever in it. And I said, that sounds awesome. So I rented that movie and it is not a boring movie. It's a fantastic movie. Um, that also happens to right in the middle have one of the sexiest scenes I've ever like he and the wife or girlfriend of the dude he killed go out to this like desert spa where mm. I, from what odd I gather you just take turns having sex and getting massages yeah, and yeah, in between yeah. one of those they're having sex and it's just it's really mm, it's kind of mm. <laughs> and um, and so yeah those are the two that sprang to mind as I only watched because of nudity or sex scenes but well i uh, uh fantastic i brought up this scene actually when there was another question that we had where was the sexiest sex scene you've ever seen or whatever and it might have oh. been and it might have also been one that it might have been one of those where it's like it contained no nudity because there's no nudity in that sex scene. yeah i don't, don't think there is nudity in that scene <laughs> i have checked very closely <laughs> very thoroughly yes <laughs> Um, yeah, uh, but, uh, but Greta Scatchy says something to the effect of take me somewhere and watch me melt or something. And then the sex scene happens right after that. And, uh, and it's just, it's got this, uh, this soundtrack behind it too. That's just, it's like, you know, it's, there's something very sexy about it. Uh, mm-hmm. uh, the, the, the soundtrack itself, while this very close up steamy, 
scene is going on. Oh, it's so good. That's a great, that's a great uh, choice. Mm. My first one, Nymphomaniac Volume 1. Uh, mm. Lars von Trier, all about a nymphomaniac. Mm-hmm. Of course, Stacey Martin is beautiful. And I was like, hey, I want to see people fuck in like a mainstream movie. And mm-hmm. uh, I had seen Dancer in the Dark. I had seen, I think, a couple of Lars von Trier movies. Oh, I'd seen Breaking the Waves, too. Mm-hmm. Um, so I was like, eh, should be crazy. Let's do it. And there's a lot of fucking in there. A lot of mm-hmm. fucking. Mm-hmm. But I truly believe that it's a good movie. Um, I think there's enough there. I tell you what, volume two nearly ruins that experience for me because you figure out what happens with Stellan Skarsgård's character. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think that's the point. Uh, but I think it's, it's a very good movie. Stacey Martin is fantastic. I've talked about the Uma Thurman scene a million yeah. times. She's spectacular in this. Uh, I think Shia LaBeouf is actually good in this movie. Um, but yeah, I ended up really liking it. Uh, but there is a lot of fucking, and that's why I went there in the first place. Mm-hmm. I, mm-hmm. It's funny mm-hmm. that, uh, that Shia LaBeouf, like one of the stories I heard about this movie, about his audition was that he actually gave Lars von Trier some video of him having sex with his yeah. girlfriends or something yeah. like that. And, <laughs> and to get the part, but then. No, none of the main actors are at, when there's when you're seeing actual ha- sex on screen are are present in those scenes. Right, right. He's done something very strange. With, I don't know something with the effects or something. Where I it mean, makes it's it amazing. Look like it, it really looks is exactly a- like everybody's having sex there. But it really is uh, a technological uh, marvel. Uh, yeah. How how he did that uh, while preserving you know the i don't know uh, the the actual actors not having to do that except for shia labeouf tongue fucking uh stacy martin that's for real mm. uh, in her mouth not in her vagina. oh yeah 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 um but yeah no I, I i truly think that's a good movie and i've watched it several times not just for the sex uh although the sex is very real i, I mean mm-hmm. very realistic uh and and you see the penetration and you see the ejaculation and stuff like that <laughs> Uh, and the other one that I watched uh, purely for my horny self was Blue is the Warmest Color. Oh, um, yeah. And that turned out to be really, really good and deep movie. Like, that mm-hmm. that movie is emotionally very volatile. Mm-hmm. Um, and Leah Sadu is really, really good. Adele Axkarshakapalalas is terrific in there. And their relationship, I know... There's things have come out about um, the execution of the scenes and stuff like that, uh, Mm -hmm. because a lot of it was very intimate. Uh, He did not use the director did not use doubles for this. Um, But uh, yeah. Uh, And I don't want to minimize that, uh, but that's why I watched that movie and the emotional beats of that relationship between the two are really what, you know, draws you back to it. it. It doesn't, it doesn't hurt that they're, what do they call it? Tribbing? <laughs> <laughs> yes. Is it, yes. What, no, scissoring. That's what she says well, in, in Booksmart, right? She's like, you're going to be scissoring but, the fuck out of But tribbing is right, too. Oh, okay. <laughs> Sorry. Let's list all the names for it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> oh, I like this one. What great PG-13 movies would you want to see rated R just for that little extra level of intensity? 
For me, this person would say Jurassic Park, uh, The Dark Knight, and Born Identity. Uh, mm. Those are good picks. I um, I thought the last couple of Harry Potters could have been rated R, no problem. Interesting. Um, I mean, uh, the the thing about Harry Potter was that everybody had. And, and, you know, I'm not talking about anything like ridiculous that would have made it just like a hard R or anything like that. But, um, but the, the, the whole thing about the, um, Harry Potter series is that the people who were the fans of Harry Potter had grown up alongside the characters and everything. They were essentially adults by the time the, the movies got to, uh, the last couple or whatever. Obviously, there are a lot of new fans that keep coming in to Harry Potter who aren't that old, who may have been shut out of it and everything. Mm. But I mean, if it, if you if you just made it rated R for a little bit of extra violence, um, and, and maybe uh, maybe some maybe a couple of swears here and there, I think I think parents would have been fine bringing their kids in it mm-hmm. in to see it and everything. The thing about the Half Blood Prince, the book, is that the the spell that uh, um, that Snape wrote in his old textbook that says for enemies that uh, Harry Potter eventually uses on Malfoy. Uh, the way it's described in the book is like, there's just like just blood just spewing out of his yeah. face. Um, and, and I'm sitting there thinking, you know, if, you can if you're okay with your kids reading about that then it shouldn't be a big deal showing it on screen either i mean i could be uh uh, playing the advocate for uh spoiling the nation's children and the world's children uh uh here but uh but when you read something like that those books progressively got darker and darker as they went along as did the movies um I would have liked to have seen a a rated R version of this where you're seeing spells and you see the actual consequences of those spells happening uh, as it go, as they go along these killing spells and these bleeding spells and all that (laughs) should, should hurt, should have consequence. Uh, But you know, it's PG 13. So everybody's like, well, just getting hit with spells and like, (laughs) Oh, something happened. I don't know. It, It stunned him or killed him. I don't know. But like that would that. be hilarious if Warner's signed off on that. Like, mm-hmm. I know we'll probably take a bit of a hit at the box office, but let's <laughs> let's go for this. We are yeah. all about artistic creativity. All right. I feel like um, <clears throat> more Nolan movies could benefit from being rated R. Mm-hmm. Um, he was rated R in his first three films, um, up through Insomnia. And... Uh, around that point, he was doing uh, Batman Begins, I believe, after that. So the mm-hmm. Batman trilogy was never going to be R-rated at that point. Uh, we may at this point see something like that in the future. Uh, Dark Knight was a good suggestion from the question asker. But Interstellar is one, uh, and Inception is another that stick with me as movies that I think would have been just a skosh, just a little sharper edge. If, Like Chris is saying, I don't need a hard r like, you know, Kill Bill style violence, um, but just give me a little more violence, <laughs> a little <laughs> swearing, um, <clears throat> maybe some nudity here or there. Um, the stories, <laughs> the stories voice. he tells, the co- the ideas are very adult and mature, um, and so 
I feel like an R rating would only help serve that a little better in some of these places. That was my answer. There you go. What were his first uh, memento? What an insomnia. The following? The yeah, the following. Oh, the following was the first following. one, right? Just just yeah. following. He dropped the the. He dropped the the. <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, you're right. I actually, I mean, that's what made Memento a little. I, obviously, the conceit was fantastic, and the uh, pulling it off was great. But yeah, having you know Joey Pants and Carrie Ann Moss and Guy Pierce being mm-hmm. kind of profane made it mm-hmm. a little bit more. Yep, awesome. I, I gotta admit, I'm not seeing Interstellar being rated R. I could see maybe Inception being that. Oh yeah, oh yeah. Um, uh, Interstellar, I think, I think uh, benefits by not being uh, super crazy. But yeah, I could see Inception being R rated for sure. What if instead of sad cry face, McConaughey was screaming "fuck"? <laughs> it certainly was. That's Fuck you, time! <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's heartbreaking. Uh, immediately, what I thought of was Happy Death Day. Happy Death yeah, Day. Yeah, yeah, for sure. I don't, I don't want to suggest that a, a, an actor should do nudity if he or she is not comfortable with it. But yep. the the time where uh, Tree walks out in the nude into the quad after mm-hmm. she wakes up, I think would benefit from an actual uh, nudity, right? Yeah, I mean, it's and just, it's not like it would be sexual nudity. It would just no. be it would just be like the shock of it. It would actually be kind of funny even. Yeah, uh, yeah, of course. I, I've, I've felt the same way. We've talked about this before with like Sin City too, even though Sin City is very R-rated. But, <laughs> but yeah. you know, Jessica Alba, you know, like, yes, uh, if you don't want to do a nude scene, don't do a nude scene. Totally fine with that, but... For you to be a stripper and for Bruce Willis to be all like, I need to save this girl from this horrible situation where she's fully clothed doesn't yeah. make any sense. Anyway. <laughs> and I think, you know, amping up the violence a little bit. I Again, I these are great movies that could benefit for it. I love Happy Death Day. I love Happy Death Day, too. Mm-hmm. Uh, but if you amped up the violence, you amped up, you know, a little nudity and certainly the language. I mean... Jesus Christ, God damn it, swear yeah, yeah, type of thing. Yeah. And really, uh, the only the first movie needs that that nude, uh, you know, that uh, nudity, what would you call it? A nudity power-up? <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Absolutely. Now, if you, if you do want a little more violence and uh, heavier stuff uh, in a Happy Death Day style movie, watch Freaky. Watch it. Mm-hmm. You love Freaky if you love Happy mm-hmm. Death Day. And yeah. the other one, I think, we've talked about this kind of before, but Live Free or Die Hard, every Die Hard movie should yeah. be rated fucking R. That's mm-hmm. part of the reason that we love one through three is that, I mean, those movies were just, it's how New Yorkers would talk. It's uh, the the consequences of the violence. If you didn't have blood and gore in Die Hard, you wouldn't see his feet all cut up by the glass in the first movie, and you wouldn't feel his pain like you do when you when you watch it. Talk about an existing uh, fan base who's grown up by this point. Uh, I mean, you know, you had to be an adult technically to watch the first three diehards, but think about if you watched them back in the day and then this comes out, 
this came out 11, 12 years after the Die Hard with a Vengeance or whatever. I mean, everybody's old as fuck watching these movies. Um, it's not like when you think about Die Hard, you think about the R rating. You don't think about like, oh man, they they really do swear in that movie, except for you, yeah. hey motherfucker. Well, yeah, like, although I guess Die Hard with a Vengeance goes a little bit overboard with like, there's like, I mean, with Bruce Willis and Sam Jackson, there it's like a, it's a <laughs> fuck parade, man. Um, but but like the the I I'm so cynical about that live free or die hard being PG thirteen, uh, that I at first I was thinking. Oh well, they just want to um, they just want to open open it up for more people to watch. Um, actually, the first thing I was thinking was, why would you do this? R rated movies did a lot of of business. Why would you why would you fuck with that? And I'm cynical enough to think, oh, some studio executive was like, oh, but we could make more business by making it PG thirteen and. What thirteen-year-old is going to see "Live Free or Die Hard"? I mean, are they like, "Oh yeah, I love this brand"? That's what I'm saying. It doesn't make any sense. He's just the, uh, you know, uh, the whole reason why. Yeah, exactly what you were saying. The whole reason why we like those other diehards is, is like anything can happen in those because because it's got the R rating. It's got it. It doesn't have to worry about. Uh, pulling its punches when it's time for the yippee ki yay motherfucker and everything. Yeah. So yeah. And, and especially it makes it worse when you realize that Kevin Smith was called to rewrite his speech mm-hmm. uh, in his part. Like, just have him punch up the script overall, man. Because yeah. uh, obviously he's he's got some great dialogue and he ain't scared uh, with mm-hmm. the thing. And also, I mean, amp up the violence a little bit and don't rely on CG so much. Uh, yeah. make them die hard. I actually mm-hmm. kind of like this movie, but that is one that suffers heavily from uh, the PG 13 rating. Sure does. Um, all right. Uh, that's going to do it for this week. Um, keep going to cinema sins presented by Sincast. Mm. So keep going to <laughs> keep going to Sincast presented by cinema sins on Facebook. We're also on cinema sins, Twitter, music video sins, Twitter, discord and soundcloud if you want to get on discord go to facebook and private message me and i can give you a link there uh but that's going to do it for this week it's chris atkins and jeremy scott barrett share we'll see you next time thanks for listening comment on our episodes on our soundcloud page check us out on youtube twitter facebook and reddit and be sure to visit cinemasins.com I thought that uh, Jungle Cruise trailer today was balls terrible. <laughs> I haven't seen that trailer. I haven't seen it yet. No, it. Everybody's <clears throat> online is like it's like Pirates of the Caribbean meets The Mummy meets uh, really? something oh, else, and I'm like, that doesn't sound good to me. Twitter also, always does this, and it doesn't look it doesn't look good. It doesn't. It looks like they're trying too hard to be those things. So I remember when Kong Skull Island had its trailer after like uh, San Diego Comic-Con or whatever the hell it was at the time where they were coming out with a ton of new trailers for the the new year. Uh, not only that, but every movie that had trailers was like, oh my God, this looks like the best thing ever. I will <laughs> be first in line to watch it. 
crazy at my house too. I got up, I had a meeting, I ate a beef stick, <laughs> now here I am. Ate a beef stick. Yeah. <laughs> who's the uh, who's the girl in Jungle Cruise? M- Emily Blunt. Oh, really? Well, yeah. she's having a big year. Or does Jungle Cruise come out this year? Jungle Cruise is this year. Yeah. Oh. Yeah, yeah, I mean, thanks, thanks in a lot, in in some part to the fact that the movie that was supposed to come out last year didn't come yeah. out. Yeah, yeah. Oh my god. Th- okay, so now I'm really seeing some some true IMDb changes. I don't oh, like really? that at all. I don't like that at all. Although, well, where do I go? I went, to Jungle, I went to Jungle Cruise, and oh my god, that movie's two hours and thirty eight minutes. Jesus Christ. Fucking kidding. <laughs> um, I, you know what? I might be able to get used to this, but it's kind of fucking weird how they have two columns of actors now. Mm-hmm. What? I don't see it. I see one column. Uh, oh, really? Well, maybe you're not special. Uh, I want to be special. Change is hard. Change is <laughs> I couldn't believe when I found out that was a David Bowie song. There's a lot of David Bowie songs that don't sound like what you think because his You're most absolutely famous right. songs are are kind of like this experimental rock stuff. But he's got genre across the board. He's he does um, like that song. I I was like, that's fucking David Bowie. You know how that? Uh, uh, what was the song that got me? Fame. Because that doesn't sound like firm. Oh, yeah. And then yeah. Uh, Young Americans, which he did yep. with, you know, the, the yeah, Young American. He's got a very wide uh, array of styles. I, I, mm-hmm. I might need to dive more into his discography. And, I'm telling uh, you, man. It's good stuff. It's good stuff. When he was working with Trent Reznor, that was really good stuff. In uh, what was that? Ninety eight, ninety seven, that Earthling album, mm. and then he had that compilation of Changes Bowie, um, that was awesome. That was uh, like his greatest hits, basically. What was it? China Girl, I think, is another one that I didn't realize it was Bowie until a lot later on. You guys saw the uh, the Bowie episode of Flight of the Concords, right? Yeah, yeah, so good. <laughs> That's pretty freaky, Bowie. Well, and then later on, Jermaine Clement, Clement did a, a Bowie-like song on Rick and Morty. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh, that's he's funny. playing like this, I don't know, cloud of some sort. It's like an it's like a autonomous cloud or something like that. And uh, and uh, he's like, and there's a point where they start tripping, and he starts singing like because Jermaine Clement <laughs> is pretty close to David Bowie. Already. Oh, yeah, of course. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and uh, it's really funny. Bow is in space. <laughs> what you doing out there, man? That's yeah. fascinating. I thought I thought I had always heard, and I'm sure it's an urban legend, that Freddie Mercury and David Bowie didn't like each other, and that yeah. they recorded their parts in different studios. I heard that too. Now that wasn't a part of that Professor of Rock thing, which made me wonder. He would know. Yeah. Yeah. If that was a if that was a, a real thing or not. But I had heard that too, that they had sung their parts in different I think they they did definitely record those things independently though. They didn't sing that at the same time. Yeah. They were right. Yeah. Stevie Nicks and Elton John. <laughs> yeah. A lot of the stuff that Freddie Mercury is doing is sort of uh you know um 
just sort of a gibberish type of thing and they kept it in oh um, that whole but a beat up yeah beat up. yeah i love that i love that song, song. Mm-hmm. that may be my favorite queen song in fact, yeah, I think that is my there. favorite queen. Could song. be, it's up could there. be. Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, I, I really like Queen. I like their music, but like, I've never gone out of my way to listen to them because they're so ubiquitous. I think I've listened to like, a lot of Queen. I had, I had, uh, I was, I borrowed a friend's greatest hits hmm. um, at one point, and um, I, I've listened to a lot of their their greatest hits. Um. But there were some other songs out there that I didn't realize. It was one song they did a vi- he did a video for in the eighties that I'd never heard of before. But um, God, what was that? He was all dressed in drag and everything too in it. Um, oh, I remember that video. It was like he's yeah. cleaning the house or something. I don't remember what it was. That was in the movie, wasn't it? That Which was in the, yeah. That was in the movie. Uh, there was a, a and, and I think it was one of those montages of the eighties. Mm-hmm. where they all showed up. I think they were all in drag mm-hmm. uh, and they show up and, uh, and film that it, there wasn't a whole lot of time spent on it. Of course, I've only mm-hmm. seen that movie once because I hated it. Mm-hmm. You remember uh, what was it? Oh, it was the tribute to Freddie Mercury. Um, when Axl Rose and Elton John did uh, Bohemian Rhapsody, did the song. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and it was funny because it was like it was it actually was at the piano and everything. He's like, "Mama, I'll just yeah, killed yeah. a man." <laughs> yeah, <laughs> of course. I'm a little angry at the end, then. Yeah, well, yeah. Don't call the prospective customers bitches. 